0: Welcome to another episode, episode number 46, in fact, of Black Mental Matters, the podcast designed to help us deal with mental health in the black community. And boy, I tell you, we need it once again this past week, just more and more shootings we hear. And then we find out a little bit later that the person may have been dealing with some type of mental health issue. The statistics show people with untreated mental health illness, 16 times more likely to be killed by law enforcement and unfortunately by dismantling the mental illness treatment system here in america we've turned mental health crisis from a medical issue into a police matter therefore i called on my policeman my cousin he's a lieutenant colonel retired commander from the illinois state troopers leonard stalworth and mckeeba and i we're going to chop this up and hopefully make a difference in our community you know we need it black mental matters Black Middle Matters once again Vince The Voice along with Makiba Reed Johnson hey Makiba.
1: hey Vince The Voice Bailey
0: hey good times to uh, have you <laughs> back on the lines again how you doing everything good yeah
1: yeah everything is good it's, it's great to be back on the line with you and especially with the special guest that
0: we have yes. I'm excited yes special guest today I do want to go back just a little bit that audacity of hope I really like that uh, our last show you know it gave me some hope as I listened to it again so hats off to yeah. you hats off to you and uh, yes thank we do. you yes Yes, we do. We have a very special guest on the line, uh, uh, Leonard Stallworth, a uh, uh, retired commander with the Illinois State Trooper, but more so than that, he's Mayola's baby boy and my first cousin. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real deal.
2: Hey, cuz. <laughs> hey, cuz. How you doing, bitch?
0: <laughs> good, good. Well, this all uh, 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 came together, um, so we're we're recording uh, this past weekend. You called me, uh, Leonard, uh, regarding the situation in Lafayette, Louisiana. Where they young man, uh, you know, was shot by the police and, and subsequently died and, and your question, no one knew at that time, you said, well man, I wonder if that was the, you know, did he have mental health issues and and uh, we had a short conversation about that. What what struck you again, since that's where we started this conversation, Lynn, what struck you about that that, that made you want to pick up the phone and even just start talking about it at that time?
2: Right, right and because and, and we've talked about this before, Vince, and, and I am so happy to be on the line with uh, Sister Makiva, you know, mm-hmm. listening to her background, and I—I I got my master's in sociology with you know, focus on urban research. And I actually wrote my lit review on policing the mentally ill. So when I hear about instances like this, you know, that happened in Louisiana, that's the first thing, you know, when I saw the details, and then of course, you know, I don't know that the investigation's not been done. I don't know all of the details, but when I heard them, you know, I'm thinking to myself, was this person, you know, were they suffering of a mental illness? And it's so unfortunate because we know that today, You know, research shows that one in six adults in this country suffers from some form of a mental illness, be it a mild depression all the way up to, you know, schizophrenia. So we we know that. And now that that we don't have those huge um, state facilities that we had back in the mid-1900s, all the way through the 1970s, we don't have those facilities any longer where people could be cared for and housed and uh, receive the right treatment and uh, therapy. We don't have those, so those people are left on their own in the public, and that can make for a bad situation.
0: That's uh, what really struck me when you you said that when we were talking uh, the other day on the phone, that the, uh, you know, the institution Mental health institutions have been on the decline, and as I looked it up, I think it was in 1981 under Reagan, it really took a dive. They pulled mm-hmm. the funding, um, and 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 then after that, I'm driving home and I see a, a homeless man. He's dancing between the cars, and and it just it just just filled me up. I, I I don't know when we talk about all these situations with the police, I don't know what it could what could be even on the minds of the police as they approach people that. Whether they knew that they had uh, a mental illness or not, uh, how, how you deal with situations like that. And a lot of tragedy going on right now. Another shooting is yeah. taking place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, now that we're recording. Oh, yeah. You know, another mm-hmm. one. So you, you, you talk about crisis intervention uh, training uh, with police departments, yeah. but, th- but that's that's not the only answer.
2: No, I I would agree with you, Um, and you know what, the first thing I did uh, when I heard about the uh, Louisiana case, I went on Lafayette PD's website just to see if it shows that their officers have gone through that CIT training, you know, the Crisis Intervention Team training. It didn't show, but that's not to say that they don't have it, but uh, right now, I mean, that is a key piece in addressing this the police interaction with the uh, mentally ill, a subject that's suffering from uh, going through a crisis. You know, that training is key because I'm going to tell you, you know, someone could be going through a crisis and just the presence of a police officer can set them off. Yes. Would you agree? Um, I mean, just the Um, presence of the police can set them. off. Oh
1: no. Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Because what we're talking about here is, is the powder keg of bringing policing into the mental health arena and how just right now black people are having a hard time feeling safe with no mental illness with police intervention. I mean, we have peaceful, you know, people just driving down the road. I mean, I have two black sons who I mean, I'm i terrified every time they get in their car. So what we have here is the issue of a, the police force that already has a problem with violence and, and racism, against black people outside of that mental health um, Mm -hmm. situation and when you bring in that mentally ill component that escalates that situation so much further because on the training end of the police yes the police have probably for the most part not been trained there aren't experts Mm -hmm. coming in with them like you would have I always think of like hostage? situations in movies where they bring in the de-escalation team the and you know, they're, yeah. right yeah, and they're, they're, they're trying to talk the person down and the amount of patience and training and psychological knowledge that has to go into that. And then you look at where we are now with Black America and you know the racism and violence with the police and then you take us who you know if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, Not only are we afraid of the police, but a lot of us don't understand what's going on with ourselves with mental health because we're not talking about it within our our, our families. And There are people with family members who have autism and Asperger's syndrome and bipolar disorder and all types of mental health issues that we don't openly talk about. And so when you bring in a person that's having a crisis and then you bring in the police, it it usually ends up in a situation where it escalates the problem more than it solves it.
2: Mm. Yes. You're absolutely right. Normally when there's a 911 call and that involves a medical emergency, who goes out? You have a squad of trained emergency medical technicians or EMTs. But when a 911 call goes out involving a mentally ill subject and oftentimes the police officer that's going to be responding, they may or may not know dispatch may or may not let them know that. And they arrive on the scene, and the first thing they see is an, is an individual that's ramped up already, that may have a weapon, may have a, a, a knife, similar, you know, to the incident in Louisiana. And now what do you do? You know, what, what do you do? You know, if you've not had that crisis intervention training, if you've not had that, your first instinct is going to be to attempt to apprehend that subject. So you don't know if that subject is going through an episode. You don't know if they're intoxicated. You don't know if they're on some kind of drug. And the worst case scenario would be if that individual is non-compliant in taking their medication for their mental illness. And a lot of times they'll be non-compliant and what do they do? They'll take drugs or alcohol to try to make themselves feel better. And, and it's that co-occurrence that makes a situation just astronomically worse. And uh, and and they might not even be know that they're going through an episode or a crisis. You know, because of medication that they're on, it might be wearing off. They might be becoming accustomed to that medication, and they don't even know that they're in in a crisis. But if they're taking drugs and alcohol in addition to going through a crisis, that's a recipe for disaster. Any police officer will tell you that the most dangerous call you can go on is a mm. call involving a mentally ill subject. You know, I wow. found, ran across a
0: very interesting article in the Huffington Post. It's entitled Do I Need to Call the Police? Mm. And it mm-hmm. talks about, you know, these, this last situation. And then we had one here in Gwinnett County where I, I guess the neighbors said that folks was was talking too loud. Uh, this woman was just tased.
2: Yeah. The
0: police officer was fired. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible situation. But, uh, um, you know you know should i call the police what 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 should i do cuz in some instances in in some of these um, quotes here from 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 people they're saying man if i had never dialed the police office mm. uh, department she'd still be alive mm. he'd still be alive
1: wow
2: so yeah. you, you got that whole dynamic in it right and, and that's bad right. because people when they call they see something like that that's their you know the natural response call the police and mm-hmm. when the police get there it could be a you know even if it's not a mentally ill subject a lot of times people will call the police and it's a civil matter yeah mm-hmm. Some people want something done they don't want to hear well this is a civil matter or this subject is having a having an episode or, they mm-hmm. want something done and if that officer hasn't had proper training and, and you look in in the past Police academy, there would be only maybe 2% of that whole training. Now, when I went through the academy, it was like six months. But back in the day, there may have been 2% of that training involving how to handle a mentally ill subject. Back in the day, that has changed dramatically now where there's a lot of focus on that because law enforcement executives know this is something that's in the forefront and we have to know how to handle these issues. Everybody's going through this training now, the crisis uh, intervention teams and that. Mm-hmm. And you know the, that involves not only the dispatcher, so say for instance, a call comes in uh, for a mentally ill subject, the dispatcher knows They've had the training. The police officer on the street knows he or she has, has had the training. The hospital, which now will have a no drive-by policy, there's times when a police officer will bring a mentally ill subject, mm-hmm. someone suffering, bring them to hospital and hospital emergency staff walking well, nope, up, can't bring them here. Nope, there, will be, there are designated hospitals and facilities They can't turn you away. Mm. They can't turn. So you can take that person to get proper care. And then the final component is the family. The family Mm -hmm. has to be involved in this because they'll know if their loved one has been compliant and taking their medications. They'll know what medications, you know, that person's on. So with those four components together, we can decriminalize the mentally ill. Because now a lot of times police officers will just lock them up and that's another Mm -hmm. arrest. They don't need that. They don't need that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I was reading, that, and this was alarming to me, in 2016, a quarter of all fatal police shootings nationwide involve people with behavioral health or substance use conditions. Mm. And, and yeah. that, that always brings the question to my mind is why are the police the first ones to take the call? In order to really look at this, I mean, we have to really look at how people view the mentally ill because just what you were saying, a, a lot of people when they are calling, person contained because there a lot of times is a level of fear and lack of understanding and lack of education mm. people yes. don't know what they're seeing and so that is what leads to the altercations because people just don't know what they're seeing and then the police are thinking about keeping the area safe keeping onlookers and people around in the area safe and they're also thinking about keeping themselves safe so they can make it back home to their families so so you're absolutely right this is going to take more than just the police showing up. And, and I would even go a little bit further. I think that if there is going to be training, that it can't be just a, a one-time workshop and then right. there's no more training. Right. There has to be continuing education right. because we're learning more and more about mental health. We're learning more about the intersectionality between different groups, different ethnic groups that experience mental illness differently. And it might look different in different cultures. So, Definitely, there needs to be something where we look at this system of why and how we got here and look at how we need to start circling back around to make sure that if you are having a heart attack, you and you compare that to a person who's having a psychiatric break, that person that's having the psychiatric break should have the same level of compassion and professionalism yes. Yes. as the person that's being picked up for the cardiac arrest well and, I, and I, not and not treated like they are some type of criminal because they're sick
0: I think this yes. goes back uh, Leonard, to you know where our conversation was again and what you talked about and that's the deinstitutionalization of our of our mental health community and now they're out of hospitals and and now they're into jails and prisons and yes. on the streets talk Homeless. about that a yes. little bit Leonard I know you've done 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 your due diligence on that?
2: Well, for instance where I live uh, in Illinois Cook County, the largest county in the state and I don't know, maybe the third largest in the nation, but Cook County Jail has a hospital on the facility. That hospital is the largest mental health facility in the wow. state of Illinois. Wow. On the premises of the jail, mm. on the premises, mm. they are the largest mental health facility in, in, in the state of Illinois. When we talk about that institutionalism Back in the 1970s, when they were trying to decentralize those places, they promised, you know, our government promised, well, yeah, we're going to close down these huge facilities, but we're going to have local outpatient facilities all over the country. That never happened. So we are relying on those. I'm going to call them victims that are suffering from episodes suffering from crises. We're relying on them to walk into one of those, well, imaginary outpatient facilities to get the proper care therapy and medication they need. It's not, happening. And the people are, it's very dangerous to have people like that walking around. It's dangerous to the citizenry, but then it's inhumane for that person to be suffering with an episode out on their own in public. Mm. It's inhumane.
1: I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I also think that the process should be measured because I think that what doesn't happen a lot of times is when a say a person has been picked up from their home because they're having a, a psychiatric break and they take them to the ER and they take them to psychiatric respite that after that happens there's never any follow up with okay hi patient so and so we're just following up to find out how was your experience did this help you what are you what kind of treatment are you receiving now it needs to be comprehensive with a circle back to that person to make sure that the way that we're handling and, and trying to manage the mental health crisis with with the police being involved we need to make sure that it is effective in the eyes of the person that was apprehended who, who had the mental health yeah. crisis and and that person's family and support system because what happens is that you know we're just basically just Calling the police every time there's a that we interact with a mentally ill person, and we're not making sure that the underlying route was treated.
0: Well, the numbers, you know, you talk about it being accountable. So, what, 650 community health facilities in 1977. Jimmy Carter signs the Medical Health Systems Mm -hmm. Act in 1980, but then in 1981, Reagan came in and cut the funding by 30%. Uh, The study finds in 84, 30% of the homeless people are suffering from uh, uh, serious mental Mm -hmm. illnesses. 85, federal funding drops another 11% for community uh, mental health facilities. Great recession in 2009 states cut 4.35 billion dollars in public health uh, mental health spending and as of uh, well no, it's even less now in 2010 there was about 14 beds per 100,000 people in in the United States in a a psychiatric uh, uh, facility so those numbers you you can't argue with Uh, it's definitely less resources and as a result Mm -hmm. we're seeing many many more instances that are not right that are wrong and And people are being hurt in a tremendous kind of
2: way. As you read those numbers uh, off, you know, I thought about a stat that I had looked at in 1955. 1955, there were approximately 560 thousand people, you know, with mental illnesses Hmm. housed in public mental health hospitals. Yes. 560,000 in 1955, the population wow. in the U.S. was only 165 million. It was half of what the population wow. is today. Wow. But those 560,000 people, those facilities aren't there anymore. And, mm-hmm. and those facilities, they, they not only housed and cared for people, gave them treatment in that, but there was uh, training. There were farms where those residents could grow their own food. Everything they ate, they produced. Well, you know what local businesses saw the money-making uh, ability in that and they start selling their products food and produce to those facilities direct and it stopped all of those training programs mm. so you know when you look at things like that just because you there was a, a way to make money those people who were getting not only the, the treatment but they were getting, having the ability to grow their own food, and they were getting training in there. And for that oh. to stop, you know, you look at all those different factors, and, and, and it all feeds into where we are today.
1: I have always felt like the mentally ill population, that that community is the last frontier as far as civil rights. It just seems like so many people view mentally ill as just people to be discarded because people, they make you uncomfortable. If you've ever been in a psychiatric ward or, or around, you know, a person that's schizophrenic, they make the people around them feel, um, you know, awkward because people aren't used to interacting with the mentally ill, so they're usually just thrown away or housed, and people don't want to see them anymore, and they don't want to think about them anymore, and that's why it was so easy for that funding to be cut because of the lack of education as far as people really having a good understanding of the mentally ill, and also having a sense of compassion and also empathy for that's, these people. I mean, these are yeah, people, kids, yes. they're adults, yes. all across ethnic lines. I mean, yes. they are the last population of people that really don't have rights because they're not able to speak up for themselves.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. When, it, when it comes down to it, that's, that's really the heart I think of, of, of all, so many things right now. I mean, uh, like uh, uh, Leonard, you know, public servants, you know, we're here to, not public business, you know, just because they found yeah. out that, that, that <laughs> the mentally ill can grow some vegetables now. Oh, let's sell it. You know, no, that's not what it's all about. And, and it's, t- it's telling me NAMI's uh, latest numbers are saying that 43.8 million adults right now in the U.S. experience mental mm-hmm. illness each year. Now, what does that mean? An episode or what? But 43.8 million people. And if yeah. the re- if the funding, people talk about defund the police or defund this, we need to refund and and, and get back into uh, right. helping our, and as you alluded earlier, uh, Maki, it's, it's even more difficult in, in, in our community, in the black community, because of course mm-hmm. it's the stigma and we're not talking about it and we hiding it. Put it up under, the, and then next mm-hmm. thing you know, we're on the news because right. little man got uh, uh, shot by the police yesterday.
2: You know, as a uh, I wore a uniform for thirty-one years before I retired. You know, I loved being the police every day. You know, mm-hmm. gave me an opportunity to serve someone, to help someone, and then being a black man, I know what it's like uh, like to come up behind you, you know, before I became the police, I know that fear. And then, but I'm a Christian first and foremost. so I know what my role is as when I was a police officer uh, and as a Christian, I know what my role is. When I talk to young black folks, I try to tell them being a police is difficult right now because some of the mistakes that have been made in our criminal justice system, it has not been, it has never been fair. We know that. But we know that there are police officers out there. They're on the job because they want to serve the public. That's what they want to do. And that's what their job is. Unfortunately, there is a few and... What our problem is right now is we're finding out who those few bad officers are. When I Mm -hmm. say few, I mean very few. There are 800,000 police officers in the United States right now. And these few bad officers that should be in another line of work, they shouldn't be police officers. Right. We don't want to find out who they are and lose a black life. This is not (laughs) algebra saying that on this side of the X, this is a bad cop. We've arrested, we've indicted him. On this side of the X, or the equal sign, there's another black person that lost their life. It should not equal out to that. Just because we find an officer who might not supposed to be on the job, we don't want to lose a life doing that. So I try to tell young people, comply. I know what you see in the news, but all those officers are not like that. Don't get in arguments with Mm -hmm. the police, don't do that. Know how to properly make a complaint if you feel that your rights were violated. Know how to go after the incident, after you clear the scene, know how to go in and speak to a shift commander, bring your mom or dad with you, but do not get into an altercation with a police Mm -hmm. officer on the side of the road. That's not a good thing to do. And the officer could be dead wrong, but don't handle that on the side of the road.
0: See, I, Absolutely. Pre- I really appreciate uh, uh, you wanting to continue to spread uh, this, the, the, the information, uh, Leonard, because uh, obviously it, it is needed. Um, we're having so many, so many incidents. I mean, each day, it, it almost seems like now, Makiba, we read about somebody else and you yourself, like you say, anytime your sons leave the house, we're terrified. Yeah, we're terrified. What, Absolutely. Could, what could happen?
1: And that might be another conversation, but we we as a people have not collectively come together to have a unified response to uncomfortable police situations, and we and we need to go over that, you know, as a community, because there there are certain things you're absolutely right, Leonard, that we cannot do. I I've actually seen poli- a police officer pushed by a um, white woman in in a situation where I myself was with a, a another group of people who had found a we had seen a an, an elderly woman on the side of the road and she couldn't she was crying she couldn't get her her car moving so we all stopped to try to help her and a white woman in the crowd got angry because she was upset about how the officer was talking to her and she she physically pushed the officer and we were all expecting a, a, a shootout after that point, but, oh know, she, yeah
0: you know, she was all just, was she down down. no, slap. but
1: nothing went down. Garing she was just, up. you know, politely asked to, to, to go back to her car. Yeah, and that the was difference. the end of that. But, but we, we can, my, in fact, uh, Leonard, I don't know if Vince told you, but my cousin was Sandra Bland. No. Yes, yes. And because she was an activist and she took her activism with her wherever she went and she was extremely aware of what was going on when she was pulled over and of course you know she you know she's speaking in terms of inequality and racial profiling which ended up escalating the situation where another person could have had that conversation with that police officer and gone home so, so 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 we have not gotten to the place where if you're in the military and you're captured on, on enemy lines you are trained to say name rank serial number like there are certain things you are supposed you are yeah. trained when you are in the eyes and and, and, and in the uh the, the company and the grip of the enemy we need to figure out collectively how we uniformly get out of these situations with the police safely things to do things not to do and actually practice them with our families with our kids with one another because no you're absolutely right you you can lose your life just for being upset because you were because you were wrongfully pulled over and you're absolutely right when you say we have to de-escalate the situation unfortunately and you gotta swallow your pride there on the spot so that you can go home alive.
0: Well, unfortunately, we, 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 we're running out of time here. But Leonard, I want to give you the last word. Uh, again, I, I really appreciate you putting this on our minds. And, and again, I think uh, th- this, this push to increase uh, facilities, uh, residential facilities for the mentally ill, I think is a very worthwhile cause. And thank you for what you're doing. But I'll give you the last word, Leonard, as it relates to uh, this discussion we've been having today.
2: Well, thanks, Vince. And it was really an honor know, being on the call with uh, Sister McKeeva. It was a pleasure mm-hmm. listening, hearing you coming from the medical side. But I just want the listeners to know that law enforcement right now, they're going through a difficult time. But at the mm-hmm. same time, those heads of those departments are working on programs and policies to make sure that these incidents just decrease and, you know, mm-hmm. we can eliminate those incidents. And it's uh, through technology we're looking at you know how to address these issues and even on the medical or I should say the mental illness part there biomedical technology that they're looking at on how to determine through a skin patch and they can remotely check to make sure a person's taking their medication. Mm. Legislators are looking, having legislative efforts on how states can say they can mandate that individuals mm. who are have mental illnesses that they take their medication, but also um, having legislation to decriminalize uh mental illness. And that means having uh, law enforcement and medical professionals work together so that all mental illness, people suffering from, they're not going to be in the system. We can remove them from the system and treat the way that they're supposed to be treated. Wow. Well, thank you
0: so much, uh uh Commander, uh, for for, for joining us here today at any time. And it's and Lieutenant we, Colonel, but that's oh, okay. Lieutenant <laughs> <laughs> Give me my money. <laughs> I know that's right. Well, thanks that's so much, guys. <laughs> right. And thank you, McKee, And hey, we'll have this discussion again. I want you folks to be thinking about this because this is a part of our community, and as we know, Black Lives. Lives matter and black mental matters as well have a great day everyone
2: amen thank you